Hey, welcome into the Coach Bo Knows Podcast here on the Studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisory Group Studios. You can check out all things O'Connor Advisory Group at oagks.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter. Our handle is at Coach Bono's Show. Hey, check out the Facebook page. Search for Coach Bono's Show, and you can email us anytime for co- at Coach Bono's Show at gmail.com. Today is episode 86. Now, usually uh, I have a co-host, whether that's Ellen coming in right now. Uh, Ellen's on vacation, and I'm a little behind, so it's just me today. And we're really going to talk just about one um, one subject, if you will. And uh, that's going to be about eight days ago, we lost Jim Brown. Uh, Jim Brown passed away, age 87 years old. Uh, when we recorded last week's podcast, Ellen and I, the news of Jim Brown's passing came out the next morning. And then our episode came out a little bit late, so not a lot to talk about that. And I want to talk about Jim Brown as, um, to me, he is one of the more, when I say more, he's one of the most iconic athletes, but I think also just, I think he's one of the most historically, historic figures of the last, you know, really 50 to 100 years in America. And I want to talk a little bit about him, Um, a complicated man and uh, someone who I think had flaws. Um, I liken the um, comparison of Jim Brown to Muhammad Ali. And I'm going to get a little grief on that, but I do think there's a lot of similarities. You know, um, Jim Brown, I kind of look at him a little differently in that he uh, he had three sort of separate, distinct careers or lives. I kind of think it's better to say lives. I mean, obviously, Jim Brown is known as you know, the great athlete, the great football player. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And I'm going to start there. And, and I talk about three different lives of Jim Brown. It's as an athlete, as an activist, and then as an actor. And, um, you know, you can say, like, the actor thing is a career piece, and so is athletics. I think Jim Brown's legacy comes in his activism. And I want to talk about it. I'm going to start with sports. If you know the story of Jim Brown, you'll know this is one of the greatest athletes of all time. You know, he was, for those of us who remember, you know, 23 years ago when ESPN put out the Sports Century list, the greatest athletes of the 20th century. Jim Brown was fourth. Um, only Babe Ruth, um, Muhammad Ali, and Michael Jordan were ranked ahead of Jim Brown. Uh, to me, I've said this, and I will carry this until I see somebody better. I think Jim Brown's the greatest football player of all time. I know people will point at Tom Brady and others, and they point to Super Bowl championships, and I will say, there's no era of football that Jim Brown couldn't play in and be dominant. This is a man who, let's talk about some of the athletic uh, things he did. Nine-year NFL career. He was in it. He won the NFL titles pre-Super Bowl era. Three times he was the NFL MVP in those nine years. Every year of his career, he went to the Pro Bowl. He rushed for 12,312 yards in those nine years. That was a record that stood until the mid-1980s, actually the late 1980s, when Walter Payton broke it in his 15th year in the league. Now think about that. It took Walter Payton 15 years to break a record that Jim Brown set in nine. Now we know Walter Payton's record was then summarily defeated, was beaten by uh, Emmett Smith 
and a couple others have passed him still. But you look at that, it's just number of games or way ahead of what Jim Brown did. One thing I think a lot of folks don't know in Jim Brown's uh, case and case study in Jim Brown, if you will, is that he was not just a great football player, but an excellent track athlete and a world-class lacrosse player. Uh, to, to this day, the elite lacrosse league here in the United States, the MVP of the league is actually named the Jim Brown Award. Um, for those that don't know, Jim Brown actually played lacrosse and football and ran track at Syracuse. Uh, he was recruited there, and there's been lots of great stories. There's been movies and books written about Jim Brown's experience at Syracuse and his uh, influence, if you will, on the sports of football and the sport of, of lacrosse. Um, something that even as an older gentleman, he was lacrosse was one of, he said one of his first loves. Um, but Jim Brown, again, on the field, was one of a kind. A dominant running back, a, a man that, I, if you see the old NFL films of him, he would talk about how he, he wouldn't get up quickly. He made every time he got tackled, he would get up slow so that he the, the opponent couldn't tell if he was really hurting or not. He played a physical style. He was um, and, and played a physical style of football, but he was also quick and fast and just a once-in-a-generation athlete. That is an overused um, word, uh, you know, verbiage nowadays, but it sure describes Jim Brown. And uh, like I said, to me, the greatest football player that has ever walked this planet is Jim Brown. Of course, Jim Brown's career got cut short. He decided in 1967, after his getting ready for his 10th season, Jim Brown was filming a movie. He was going to be, he was in London, and he was filming the movie The Dirty Dozen. If you're my age or older, you kind of know what that movie is. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, a World War II set movie about a number of convicts who were brought in to do a special job. And uh, Jim Brown was brought in and, and was pretty spectacular in the movie. But because of weather issues, they got delayed in their filming. Art Modell, the former owner of the, the Browns, then the Ravens, um, actually had just bought the Browns and was going to fine Jim Brown $1,500, the equivalent of about twenty grand now, um, per week for every week he was late to training camp. Upon hearing this, Jim Brown announced on the set of the Dirty Dozen in full garb that he was going to retire from the NFL. Uh, he only had one more year left on his contract anyway, was his thinking, and he wasn't going to be told. Um, I think this is a great story, a little great little story to tell you a little bit about the man. Uh, a man who was, again, we're going to talk about a couple of words here. He had flaws. We're going to talk about that throughout this podcast today. But one of the other quotes about him is he says, I'm going to do what I want to do. That was really Jim Brown's calling card, good and bad. And, and again, there's some complications, and we're going to get into those. Um, so the end of his career, 1967, happens, and he decides he's going to go into movies. At that time, Jim Brown um, makes The Dirty Dozen, which becomes a big box office hit. He becomes a big deal and starts making movies. Um, 
Jim Brown is given a lot of credit as the guy who helped um, take the black exploitation films and make them bigger. And that whole genre, a lot of that is due to Jim Brown. Jim Brown was also the first, was involved in the first interracial love scene in a movie. Uh, in the movie 100 Guns, he has a love scene with Raquel Welch. <laughs> if you're going to go in, go in with a bang, I guess. I mean, that's great. Um, but again, something that's significant and historic. He also, in his career as an actor, you know, made lots of money. He also helped other African-American filmmakers and actors get work. Uh, Another famous, famous story is uh, Richard Pryor. When Richard Pryor had his accident uh, where he almost died, and he tells the story in one of his stand-ups that Jim Brown was one of the guys that helped him come out of that, but then also... Jim Brown had a production company and signed Richard Pryor to the largest contract of any actor in history at the time. And it was one of the things that Jim Brown really prided himself on is what he could do for the African-American community. Um, He took that, took what he was doing as an athlete, and he was a role model took what he was doing as an actor and it became not just a role model for other actors, but then, uh, you know, someone who could help with the financing of these things and help grow this. As an actor, he, you know, started action movies and, again, we talked about some of the black exploitation movies. You know, it's a lot of mainstream stuff as well. We talked about The Dirty Dozen and Honored Guns. Uh, He even played upon, in a humorous way, who he was a few times. I mean, Jim Brown is Jim Brown, you know. And, um, you know, he played on that whole uh, black exploitation thing by making a movie, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, you know, and playing a role in that, which was hysterical. Uh, Later on, he had played, mostly at the end of his career in acting, he was doing cameo roles, but we saw him do things like um, uh, Mars Attacks, where he plays a a general and he's just buttoned up, big guy. Uh, We've seen Jim Brown in... Any given Sunday, I mean, he basically plays Jim Brown. I mean, it was this tough-minded, physical, I mean, you could see the character was close to who the man was as a football player. And I think that, you know, Jim Brown is, uh, was, was this strong, strong man. I, I'm going to point you, if you, if this interests you at all as we're talking through this, um, on his podcast, Bomani Jones last week did a really nice essay on Jim Brown. He talks about how the man had flaws, and we know the domestic abuse issues that he had. And he, but he, I think he described it really well when he said, "Jim Brown represents what a man is." If the aliens came down, his way is how Bomani put it. If the aliens came down and said, "Show me a man," you'd show him Jim Brown, flaws and all. You'd show him strength, you'd show him courage, you'd show him pride, you'd show the flaws of a a man. All those things. And again, complicating things as he had this role as an athlete, as um, an actor, as we've talked about, those two professions, if you will, of his life, he was very famous. He became very wealthy. 
We'll talk about how he shared in his wealth, but also what is not really talked about, and I think really does need to be talked about, is that Jim Brown had some flaws, and I guess I keep coming back to that word flaws, and that's that you know, there are four domestic issues, domestic charge issues. Um, one, he was charged and acquitted in court. The other three he, uh, charges were not, fi- not formally filed after his arrests. Um, obviously, this is someone who had an issue at some time or throughout parts of his life. And I think that it's important to point that out. I do. Um, I think that's where I think I draw some equivalences to other people like Muhammad Ali is that it's important to point those things out. But I think it's also important that we can't just judge a person on their worst days. Um, you know, Ellen and I, when Ellen's on here quite a bit, we'll talk about, we kind of get political about things and we'll say, you know, we don't understand how these people can think this or people can think that. We have tended in the last number of years to say, well, this person thinks this, so therefore this must be who they are. And I think it's important to understand that, yes, we should be judged by our actions as well as our words. And that includes all of our actions. But I don't think any of us can stand on a pedestal in front of everybody and say, judge me on only my best days. That's not fair. We have to take into account those, those, those bad times. However, just as we're not going to judge you on just your best days, we also should not be judging you on only your worst days, only your worst decisions, because we've all made poor decisions, myself included. And I think that what you can see in Jim Brown's case is, yes, there were certainly some poor decisions in parts of his life, but did the scope of what he did in a positive way outweigh that? You know, were his best days, I don't want to say good enough to make up for his worst, but were his best days worthy of the same judgment that his worst days are? That's important. And I think that's what's something that gets lost in where we are as a country right now. Um, whether you want to blame the last couple of po- political issues, you know, last couple of political um, elections, presidential elections, whether you want to blame one side or the other, none of that means anything right now. What I'm saying is that it happens on both sides. We both do it. You know, I'm someone who will say, well, this person is, is a bad person because of this. Well, are we taking everything into judgment? Because again, we have all made mistakes. Even the most strongest, most powerful, even the ones who have the greatest of hearts have made some sort of mistake. That's how you grow. And I will argue that Jim Brown grew through his life. Um, Going from the beginning of his life as an activist You know, Jim Brown was someone in the 60s that was a part of 
the fight and the racial discrimination. Uh, you know, going back to in the his time at Syracuse in the fifties, we saw you know some of the things that he had to go through as a young black man in America in the sixties as one of the most public athletes in the world. He was still a beacon of what can be right in stopping racial discrimination. Um, another piece to that is I want to bring up, and this is one of the, I think it's a thoughtful piece in that. In 1967, one of the things that Jim Brown came called together was the Cleveland Summit. This was right when Muhammad Ali had um, was arrested for not um, being inducted into the Army, when being drafted into the Army. Jim Brown was someone who was skeptical of Muhammad Ali's uh, political, uh, political, his religious beliefs, excuse me, his religious beliefs, and called a summit with Ali and a number of young, young African-American athletes, uh, most prominently Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Bill Russell, and Muhammad Ali, there's about 11 others as well. And you'll see there's a famous picture from the press conference at the end of this where Jim Brown did a lot of the speaking saying that we stand with Muhammad Ali, and we stand with him because we do believe his sincerity. I think about those four men that I named off, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I think about the lives they have lived, and we've lost three now. You know, we lost Bill Russell last year. We lost... Um, Muhammad Ali a while back, and then, you know, obviously we just lost Jim Brown, and I think Kareem is the one who doesn't get as much love as the others, but I think that it was simple that these men stood up for what they believed in, not necessarily for the same reason. There was religious beliefs, there was political beliefs, and there was just beliefs of equality, and to me, that speaks highly to all of them. It also, in this case, to me, speaks highly of Jim Brown and calling this summit because, again, he openly said he was skeptical of Muhammad Ali. And having the meeting, this is what Jim Brown does or did. If he was skeptical or if he wanted to learn more, he would call people together. And because he was Jim Brown, people would see him. A lot of the battles in which we have fought in the last couple, a few years, socially in this country, um, we, we kind of pick sides. We go, well, there's you know, this one and this one, and you're either left or you're right. And I think Jim Brown was someone who said, I just want an audience so I can understand and so that they can hear me as well in my positions. You know, in the last few years, Jim Brown showed support to Donald Trump. Again, I don't personally agree with that. But what Jim Brown's point was, was, hey, I can get an audience with Donald Trump. Maybe, Jim and Jim Brown's thinking was, if he can get an audience with Donald Trump, maybe he can convince Donald Trump to make some of these things happen as president. Again, 
that's Jim Brown understanding who Jim Brown was. And again, it goes back to the thing. I do what I want to do. Um, you know, that's that can be taken as a a real blunt on somebody. It can be taken as a real negative. But also, I think it shows a positive to someone who says, hey, I'm not going to just do this in a way which you think is right. I'm going to do this in a way that I think is right and that I can work with others on. And Jim Brown brought people together. And, you know, he was, we talked about the summit with Muhammad Ali. The Black Economic Union was something else that Jim Brown started. This is where he took himself and other athletes and they spoke with business owners and said, here's the importance of black business owners working in the black community. And he went to some really hard places. We're talking about going in the deep south, places like Mississippi and Alabama, and trying to really help build African-American communities. And again, this is something that most people wouldn't even try. Jim Brown had the courage to do that. Jim Brown had the courage to not just do that, but to ask others to come along and help him. The last piece I want to get with on this, on the, the activist thing, something that is now, I think, Jim Brown's legacy is the AmeriCan program. And this is one of the things where I think Jim Brown, if you don't know about the AmeriCan program, I, I we shared it on the Coach Bono's Facebook page as well as a Twitter page, uh, a link to the American program. Um, it's a program that Jim Brown came up with in the 1980s along with the help of a few others to help uh, gang members and prisoners move, move from more violent issues to teaching them life skills. What Jim Brown understood was, he understood that there was the issue with the gangs in Los Angeles at the time, that's where Jim Brown was mostly focused, was that these young people were trying to find a home. They're trying to find a community. And they found that in gangs. But the violence is something that was protestable. It was ugly. It was something that is harmful to those people's growth, those young people, young men's growth. And then we had the issue of, because of this, they were now going to prison at alarmingly high rates, which frankly has continued in this country. But what Jim Brown said was, hey, let's take the American program. Let's build this to help these, these prisoners and gang members, teach them life skills so that they're not violent. Teach them that the violence is not what they need, but instead we can help others through it. Um, I was interested to read that the way Jim Brown helped build this program, there were sort of three things that Jim Brown called upon to, to create and build the program. And I think these three items, when you hear them, they'll be kind of shocking, but also it'll give you a good sense, again, of who the man is. The three things Jim Brown called upon or kind of looked at in developing the program was, one, the teachings of Malcolm X. Two, Alcoholics Anonymous, the STEP program. Uh, the American program is like a 15-step program. And then three, 
the fiscal teachings of Ronald Reagan and the economics of Ronald Reagan. Again, you don't have to agree with all of them, but it's an interesting dichotomy to put those three things in particular together because, again, he was talking about things like life skills. And Jim Brown, instead of being a person who believed in handing out to people, really believed in building those skills. He was a very pull-up-your-bootstraps kind of guy. Whether you now want to agree with that or not is, again, kind of indifferent. I like that idea personally, but I also think there are times where that you people do need some help. And again, what Jim Brown's idea was, let's give them the life skills. You know, it's the old, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, but you can teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And again, I like that mentality. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be good to people who need help. But also there's others that can learn these life skills. Again, it goes back to that be a man kind of thing. Jim Brown was a man. The American program um, has helped hundreds and thousands of people now. And I, I, I urge everybody, I actually said this on our Facebook page, and I've shared it on my personal Facebook page, if you get a moment, click on the link. We've got, again, we've saved it. We've shared it on Twitter. We've shared it on Facebook. Go and donate $5. Donate $5 to the American program. And just simply put, rest in peace, Jim Brown. Thank you. I think when you look at what he's done for the African-American community, for really for, for everybody, I mean, this is not just... Uh, He's not just a role model for young black men. I think that anybody can look at Jim Brown as a role model. A man who, again, we talked about the flaws. I mean, it's a man who had some domestic abuse issues, but didn't, but understood as he got older that you don't have, I don't think his intention was to make up for that, but I think he understood that he could be better than what his mistakes were. He could be better than his worst day. And I think that's what all of us should strive to do. So, um, again, one subject today, and that was, you know, kind of my affection for Jim Brown. Like I said, not only do I think he is the greatest football player that ever lived, but I also think that... Um, a flawed and complicated man, but I think also a role model in very many ways. And I think that, I hope that people will look at him for generations to come and say, let's not be judged on our worst actions, but let's try to carry ourselves in a way of helping others. And again, I don't want to you know, gloss over those bad things. They're there. But that doesn't define you at all times. And for those who, if you disagree with me and you listen to this, I'd love to interact with you because I do understand the argument, especially from, from, from ladies, from, from women, and say, yeah, but you know, this is kind of unforgivable. Yeah, there are some parts that really shouldn't be forgiven. But where is the good and the bad? And that's a complicated conversation to have. And I wish Ellen were here with me today to talk about this, but we, 
and maybe we will touch on it next week as well, because I'm not forgiving that. I don't believe it should be. But I also think there's a legacy in there of positivity as well. And I'm going to end with that today. So, um, hey, I'd love to hear your interactions with this. Hit me up on Twitter, um, at Coach Bono Show. You can also always interact on our Facebook page. So just start to search for Coach Bono Show. It's the first thing that will come up. Um, I want to say thank you to our sponsor here on the podcast, which is DraftKings. Hey, DraftKings, if you click on our show notes, there's a link. Join DraftKings. With your first deposit and your first $5 bet, you're going to get $150 worth of free bets. I know there's no football right now. I know there's no basketball right now except for the NBA Finals, which we're going to touch on next on our next episode. Lots of baseball out there, NFL futures, whatever it might be, whatever tickles your fancy, give it a shout, give it a try. We appreciate DraftKings and everything they do and helping us sponsor the podcast here. I also want to give a quick shout-out to Tyler Jones and everybody at Studio Soapbox for all you do behind the scenes. Don't forget, I am on the Jones Report each week now. We're back to the Coach Bono's, Coach Bo's Football Fix uh, weekly on there. We talked a little bit about Jim Brown this past week, talked a little bit about the Pac-12 and some of the issues they're having. Uh, so check that out, the Jones Report, on another great podcast here on the Studio Soapbox Network. Uh, most importantly, I want to thank you, the listener. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, we appreciate every five-star review. So until next time, I'm Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. Have a great weekend. Remember, your time tokens are non-refundable. Take care, everybody.